episode 84 of the film yak podcast i'm john i'm kevin i'm jr and today we're here to talk about my pick mad dog and glory from 1993 directed by john mcnaughton we're also gonna be talking other things we watched thanks for joining us how are you guys doing doing good so so good jr is uh, doing especially well today because jr we're going to have a baby. That's right. JR is... My wife's pregnant. Wife is pregnant, <laughs> and they're going to have their first child, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm, uh, I'm excited for you to experience it. It's terrific. Um, it really is. No, it really yeah. is. I don't I know. know if that sounds well, sarcastic. I'm just excited. <laughs> I, can finally, I can finally be like you and like watch these mediocre movies, but talk about how they make me cry because oh, there's something to do with well, the hey. them. Honestly, just accept it. Look, I don't even know. It's I'm emotion. I'm more emotional overall because I realized this week I watched um, "Set It Off," the uh, mm-hmm. bank robbery film from the '90s with the black ladies, mm-hmm. and it made me cry when one of the bank robbers got shot. So, like, <laughs> I think I'm just more emotional in general yeah. since I've had a kid. Like, it's not. It's not just about kids. I thought it was, but it's just everything. <laughs> this is also just an emotionally taxing week. Oh yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. For, Overall, for everyone, yeah. In absolutely. This country. Yeah, absolutely. More so for people other than us, I'd imagine. But yeah, it's, uh, it's just mm-hmm. been a been a rough time. Yeah, the the, the whole whole country's in a huge fucking mess right now. But uh, yeah, you know, we soldier on and we talk about films to hopefully maybe distract people from their their worries yeah. a little bit for an hour and a half. 90 minutes, JR. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, well, uh, I guess who wants to get started with what we watched? Kevin barely watched anything. Yeah, so maybe uh, I'll, I'll go. Okay. I probably have <laughs> the most. Um, all right, so I watched a bunch of uh, watched a bunch of like indie new stuff. Um, I watched The Vast of Night, which was just added to Amazon Prime a couple weeks ago or last week maybe. And uh, it's cool. <laughs> All right, Kevin, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's uh, first-time director, Andrew Patterson. It's got a very, like, uh, like Malikian visual sense, uh, kind of mixed with some some Altman dialogue, people talking over each other kind of stuff. Um, and it's got that style in a very, like, too self-aware Twilight Zone episode pastiche. Like, it's... it's it's way too self-aware like there's a framing device where like the opening shot starts like we're looking at an old tv in the 70s and like we zoom into the episode that Mm. becomes the film Mm. it's uh like there's no reason for that to be there uh not that it it also doesn't like take away from the movie it's just Mm. kind of stupid but uh it's like a story of this tiny town a radio host in new mexico and a switchboard operator who are friends who kind of stumble on this like mysterious signal that uh, might be connected to some other weird events that people are calling in about. And uh, it's a very like talky thing. Cause like we listen to people call in on the radio. We listen, uh, we watch this girl operating the switchboard. Uh, and a lot of those scenes are really cool. Um, but that's, uh, 
Oh no, I've lost myself. There's a there's a couple of elements like there's this weird sort of race element that's half baked, doesn't really work. There's um, I don't there's like no reason for the visual style of the movie to be there when it's like trying to be this Twilight Zone thing because it's not what Twilight Zone episodes looked like. Uh, but the performances are good, and no one. No one like embarrasses themselves with uh, weird West Texan or New Mexico accents, which is nice. But uh, yeah, it's pretty to look at, and uh, definitely worth it for like a weird, not too ambitious uh, sci-fi thing. This is a uh, so this is a film. Not yeah. a, I thought it was a television show for some reason. No, no, no. well, because it it's meant to it's presented in the film as a no. I guess, oh, yeah, I guess I thought I just heard it was like a, a, no, like a limited a, uh, series or something. One film um, played a bunch of festivals in 2019 and just put on Amazon. I get a three and a half. This is a this is my kind of entertaining. Mm. I you know I I can't be like, oh John, oh Kevin, like I know you'll love this. I don't know that you'll love this, but you know that's an interesting thing that you say there because uh, I was thinking that about that myself uh, about recommendations because I've been recommending a tremendous amount of movies to my brother lately who lives in new orleans and he's just been out of work for so long he's just you know because of the corona thing and he's just been uh watching tons and tons of stuff and he's been asking me about you know what i think about certain films and i was i was i went on like an altman rant the other day tell him and telling him how great california split and mccabe and mrs miller are and he should get on that and they're you know how he can watch california split on prime and all this kind of stuff and anyways but uh i i've been I've been turning him on to movies and I was, I was telling him the other day, it's hard. It would, it would be hard for me to recommend like a lot of the films I watch to him because I, we have different tastes, you know, like he wouldn't be interested in like watching, I don't know, like the, like, like beanpole. I watched beanpole. He wouldn't watch that. Right. <laughs> like he would right. he'd probably bore like, him. I, I'm guessing you did not recommend around the world when I was, no, age. yeah, exactly. <laughs> as much as I love that. I, yeah, he, that's not something I don't think he'd be interested in, mm. but, uh, which, you know, to no fault of his own. It's just different strokes for different folks. But I was thinking about that with you guys. I don't know necessarily that I could... Because Kevin and, and, and JR, but, like, Kevin specifically, because I always think about, like, oh, well, it's easy for Kevin because he likes Monty Python, so it's just British comedy. Everything is British comedy he loves. But then it's, like, hmm. something like With Nail and I. He doesn't love With Nail and I. He's It's okay. <laughs> and yeah. so it's just like, I don't, yeah, it's just, I don't have you guys pegged even yet, you know? And like with Jr., it's maybe even more strange because he's just all over the place. You know, I would the, have no the sa- idea. The sample size, you know, right? It's so big. Yeah, I'm watching yeah. everything, all exactly. genres. Exactly. I'm hating things I should love. I'm loving <laughs> things I should hate. And like yeah, your make, yeah. like your uh, your your uh, make of its uh, list that you put up, uh, where where you said uh, your number one film on there is all about Eve, but you give it a yeah. four point five out of five. Like so, that's the that's the top tier for that guy is a four and a half. Mm, like he yeah. has no he has no five star films is that i mean is that no bad? i don't i've never seen any most, of his films i'm just saying most filmmakers don't have a five star for you yeah for you yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. okay because I, I don't know if i agree with that i i feel like for me i feel like it's the opposite if, it, if it's an art if it's an auteur i feel like they probably have a masterpiece and i would give it five stars well mm. and not I that mean, that guy's an auteur i don't i don't know much about him at all yeah, he's he's like a definite definite like studio 40s right, and 50s right, guy sure. but right right uh and he's also like I made a list of him because and I watched all of his movies because there's like a baseline of quality for most of them. And they're all very mm. good. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like all about Eve, I think, has a couple 
performance problems, and that kind of holds it back. You guys have never seen All About Eve? No. It's my pick this week, right? I saw All About Steve. Are you serious? Did no, you I, no, I didn't, no, I didn't see it. <laughs> That's like a loose remake, though, right? Isn't it? I don't think so. Isn't it legit? I thought it really was. I thought it was. Like I, a I thought remake, Sandra but... Bullock like stalks Bradley Cooper. Oh, I thought that's what all about Eve oh. was. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't just know. roll. Just gener- yeah, I, gener- I really, roll I really thought that's what it was. I thought it was like a com- comedic take and like a role reversal, and that's all. <laughs> oh, I, like, I, I haven't seen it. And I don't really know a lot about it, so I won't say definitively. It's your that it's pick not. this it week just... again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all about Steve. Do it. I I can't wait. Isn't Steve Zahn in that? I love Steve Zahn. It's uh, Bradley really Cooper, isn't it? Steve is Steve Zahn. Zahn in it? I think he's a supporting character. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. I, I love Steve Zahn. Bradley met... Cooper might be the lead, and like Steve Zahn is his yeah. you know, buddy that yeah, he that makes sense. the plot to. That makes sense. I met yeah. Steve Zahn in New Orleans once. He's great. Oh. When he was uh, filming Treme? I suppose so. I, I feel like it was after that, but it, maybe it was around that time. It was mm. 2011. I guess that's around that time. I don't know. I, I saw him. I did not get to talk to him. I talked to him at a bar during an Elephant Six holiday show, and... Uh, Oh, cool. He was like, I told, I showed him how much I liked him in, uh, in Rescue Dawn. Oh yeah, it's big news. <laughs> yeah. Steve Zahn is not in All About Steve, so, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so we will not be on a tangent about Steve Zahn yeah. <laughs> from nowhere. I was just thinking the other day, I need to watch Saving Silverman again because I, <laughs> I remember lo- like loving the absolute shit out of that. movie. I love the Neil Diamond stuff at the when oh, he yes. actually shows up and he's like talking in in his titles of his songs. <laughs> yeah. Love on the rocks, ain't no big surprise. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. And all of his his interactions with Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're way off topic here. Okay, ninety, 90 minutes, guys. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, okay. Right. Sorry about that. That was my fault, Kevin. Okay, so I can just burn through these kind of quickly. So I ended up watching like three Dracula movies since last oh time. I just it just kind of happened that way. Uh, I had started Nosferatu. Because I've been meaning to rewatch it ever since, um, like I saw it in a college class. But my, I think I've said them on here before. My class decided, oh, it's mystery science theater time, and like decided to just rip apart the whole movie. And it's like I hadn't seen the movie, so I was looking forward to actually watching it and listening yeah. to the score, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I watched it on Canopy, and I enjoyed it. Um, so then I like went through a bunch of like uh, my brother's DVDs to see like what he had that I need that I wanted to watch again, and one of them was Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I had seen like years and years and years ago, and like I had read a while back that Coppola used like all like in camera effects. So I was like, okay, I need to give this another shot. Yeah, it's all practical. Yeah. And like honestly, I was I was going in expecting it to be like you know ridiculously over the top, and probably not very good, kind of like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. But no, this is actually really good for me. It wasn't a it wasn't a five, but it's still really good. Like I think some of Anthony Hopkins's stuff as um, Van Helsing just kind of took me out of it for a little bit because like he gets really goofy at at parts mm-hmm. in in the movie and I'd have to reread the book again to see if that was more accurate but like um but yeah it's very very well done very well acted through all of it the the settings are you know the set decoration is fantastic i really like the costumes and like 
the guy who did the score, he also did the score for the Ninth Gate. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is like extremely good because it's very very ominous and just. It's like I was saying about uh, I forget what I said this about the other day, but it's like everything that you think a great horror score should be. It's like he put it all into this score. So, yeah, highly recommend Bram Stoker's Dracula. The intro was legendary when I was a child. I mean, I've seen it many, many times, but uh, just that 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 kind of prologue where he becomes Dracula's like that was like the the shit to us when we were kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I I actually read most of a book about the actual Vlad the Impaler mm-hmm. and and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was a good that's always a good addition to to the movie. Not I don't think I'll ever give Dracula Untold a watch unless somebody's like, no, no, you really need to watch it. It's actually really good. Kevin, you really need Do to watch it. it. It's actually really good. <laughs> no, I've never yeah. seen it. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> See that's very lackluster recommendation. I'm gonna go give it a four and a half on Letterboxd right now. Just oh wow, <laughs> just as a reference point for you. Right, right, right. Uh. So to round round everything out, I ended up rewatching Dracula Dead and loving it, and did not love it. Like <laughs> I went in thinking, like, okay, it's you know, it's Mel, it's Mel Brooks past his prime. And, you know, but it's, it's, you know, it'll probably be very similar to Young Frankenstein where he uses a lot of like the, um, you know, it's very affectionate towards like the Dracula movies, et cetera, et cetera. But then it's like just not that it's very ridiculously slapstick and just it follow it follows Bram Stoker's Dracula like very, very closely, you know, because yeah, because it got big, and it's like, oh, this is an opportunity to spoof this movie. But Mel Brooks definitely did not put his best foot forward in this thing. I gave it a three because there were a lot of like a lot of laughs that I actually really liked, mostly from Peter McNichol. But yeah, it's it's definitely like as low as a three star can get. It's just not very, not very well done, not very funny, and just uh, just misses so many elements that make um, a Mel Brooks movie great. I didn't even realize it was a Mel Brooks movie. I'll be honest. I thought it was a uh, one of these. You know, um, Nielsen worked with a lot of shit directors <laughs> later, in, like super late in his career. And yeah, for sure. Who directed Spy Hard? That wasn't Mel Brooks, was it? That was like the no. the brothers who did Airplane or whatever? I think so. Something like that. Zucker? Yeah, Zucker. Yeah. Zucker Abrams or whatever. Mm. Um, anyway. Okay, I watched Beanpole, uh, directed by Kantemir Belagov, which is a Russian film from last year, which everybody's been talking about. It's just been... just The critics are loving this thing, so I had to watch it. I don't know why JR didn't watch it. I'm really confused. Why didn't you watch this, man? <laughs> sorry, I, I missed that you had watched it. I'm so I'm no, I just so thought sorry. you would have. I thought you would have been looking forward to this as well. Just just for all the hype, you know. I you know I can't get to everything. I know. all at once. I know. 
You had all your Mankiewicz movies to watch. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyways, I liked Bean Pole. I didn't love it, but uh, I certainly uh, appreciate it. It's very well made. It's extremely colorful. And there's like a super concentration on the color green in the movie. Like every scene has green in it. Like people are wearing green or there's like a green wall in the room or it's kind of strange. I don't really understand exactly what the green represents. Like obviously you think envy, Mm. which is makes sense because there is like a jealousy aspect sort of to the central two characters, but it's not like that cut and dry. So I'm not sure exactly what he was going for. And Alex, I guess it could mean money, but like it's Russian. So I don't know if their money is green, (laughs) but uh, anyway, the second lead in it, is really really good and i guess this is like her first movie or i don't think she's been in much of anything yeah she this is her only film but her name's vasilisa 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 paralingina (laughs) these are hard names but she is really really terrific in this and uh i really hope she continues to work because she's just like impressive i mean very impressive and it's a dark film, or it's got dark elements to it, but it's kind of, it's so lightly, uh, light in its aesthetics, I guess, that you kind of, it's just a kind of a strange balance, but I think it works. And it's uh, it's decent. Check it out if you have um, the chance. It's off movie now, though, so I don't know when you're going to get a chance to see this mm. thing. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> is, it in the, is it in the library? Uh, see, I haven't checked. The, I don't understand the library. Is it like a rental thing or something? Like, I, it's a only what? it's only online. It's not on the app. Yeah, like on the TV. So I don't get. I don't understand. Like, do you rent stuff from it? I was thinking maybe it's like a rental thing or I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's supposed to be everything on there is like free to existing users. That's kind of strange, though, isn't it? For their model is based on things going away after thirty but days. But they, yeah, it, it is strange. So. A bunch of the releases on there are things that movie actually like bought to distribute, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't I don't know if Beanpole is one of those, and I don't know if all of the movies on there are that, but like there's like a, a Cien Sono movie, anti porno on there. Oh, anti porno, uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, Grand Bazaar that Jody Mac movie I watched is gonna stay on there because they distributed that. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't. Hmm. I also don't understand it. Yeah, it's just really strange. And it seems like it got like one article and very little press. Like nobody's talking about mm-hmm. it. I don't know. It's very strange. Anyway, being full four to five. All right, I am. Uh, I am drinking this little mini cocktail right here, uh, in solidarity with with Sad Ben, Sad Ben Affleck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, yeah, I finally got to the the way back. Um, Gavin O'Connor's. You know, I guess it's like sort of meant to be like a little redemption story for this uh, former former high school athlete who kind of threw uh, his chances away and his life's in the his life's in the shitter right now. Uh, his wife has uh, separated from him. He is uh, like we're introduced to him like with some uh, sad music montage <laughs> and uh, just like he's drinking at various uh, like stools at a bar throughout the day and then the night and then the next morning he's drinking a can of beer in the shower we actually see ben affleck uh drink in the shower multiple times in this movie uh, which is such like a college move yeah <laughs> drink a beer in the oh, no. shower oh my gosh it's to sh- yeah. it's to really drive home he has an alcohol problem right? yeah he does. yeah and like uh, you know if you guys have seen um 
shit. I've I've only seen Warrior, which Kevin, I think you talked about last time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um Warrior, this guy did Miracle, Gavin O'Connor. Like very not subtle, emotionally mm. big uh sports movies. And yeah. uh The Way Back Fitzer I, I like I think I like Warrior more than you. Because uh, I I don't know anything about or give any shits about, you know, uh, like UFC mixed martial arts kind of stuff. I mm. just was I was there for the very broad emotional journey that happened in that movie. Right. And uh, I was I was there for that in this too. Like the uh, the coach of this uh, of his alma mater has a heart attack, and so the uh, priest calls up Ben and says, "Hey, why don't you come uh, coach for us?" Classic Even he's Mighty clearly, Duck story. Exactly. He's clearly just wasted. Like he's wasted in every scene, and this priest just doesn't seem to notice. Uh, <laughs> the coaching stuff is great. We don't see him do a lot of coaching in games and shit. Uh, mm. They the way they do the games is they basically just show you like one scene from a, a, a basketball game, and it's like uh, them getting beat or Ben cursing at these high schoolers, and then it's just like a freeze frame. And it shows you the score, and at first it's meant to show you just like the awful scores when they're losing. And then as they start winning, it's meant to just show you, like, he's still so angry at refs and cursing at these kids, and now they're winning games. Um, <laughs> I just thought it was fun. Uh, but you know, by minute 75, like, the three, three-act three sports narrative of this movie is uh, over, and there's a whole other half hour about uh, the rest of Sad Ben's journey. And uh, there's a lot of really sad piano music to <laughs> remind me of it. But... If you can uh, if you can get down with Sad Ben and uh, accept that maybe a good performance is sometimes just drinking in the shower, then you can get down with this movie. It's another three and a half for me. Is this on the list of alcoholic portrayals in cinema? Where would you rank this? Like, I don't, I don't have a comprehensive list of that. Like Denzel in Flight, mm. Nick Cage in Leaving Las it. Vegas, Ray- Dennis Hopper in Hoosiers. Ray Meland and Lost Weekend. There, that's a good one. Okay, uh, so it's never like the shit never gets as real or as low as a uh, Ray Meland or of um or Nick Cage. I've never seen Flight and Hoosiers or Hoosiers, um, which is kind of weird. It's weird yeah. I've never seen Hoosiers. Um, I've never seen Hoosiers. I just know that Dennis Hopper plays a drunk in it, and that uh, he was like actually drunk apparently during. The- it's like <laughs> on, on, honestly, like this character, you know, he ends up getting help, you know, inter- interventioned, you know, before shit really gets to the bottom. Mm. You know, I Bummer. think this is definitely like a a feel good, more of a feel good movie with alcoholism than uh, a real portrayal. Oh. That feel good alcohol is a movie. Oh yeah, I saw. Uh, I've only seen Pride and Glory and The Accountant from this director. So <laughs> I've and never seen those. I don't like either awesome. one of them very mm. much. I really those hated Pride and Glory. Actually, I was really disappointed with it. I thought uh. it was going to be good. Does the team win like the state championships or something? Spoiler: The story doesn't go that far. I mean, oh. they're the whole thing is like they haven't been to the playoffs since Ben Affleck was uh, on the okay. team twenty five okay. years uh. ago. So just like. Just getting them to win games and try <laughs> to compete for the playoffs is the is the win. Oh, okay. All right, let's move on. This is gross. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> okay. Let's see. So, okay. So I rewatched uh, THX eleven thirty eight because 
figured I'd go ahead and go through the rest of uh, Lucas's movies because he only ever did like six or six. seven, huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, he produced Red Tails, though. So yeah, produced gotta it. Give him that. Yeah, and apparently he directed like some reshoots. I thought he directed uh, Willow when I was like for when I was a teenager. Mm. I, I would have bet money he directed Willow. Right. Yeah. That was that was that period in the eighties where he just had his hands in so yeah. many so many pies. Um, well, how was it? Kind of bland. Um, like it reminded me a it reminded me a bit of uh, there's an Ira Levin novel called This Perfect Day, which has like a you know similar stuff like. Like, uh, people in that society, there are only, like, four names that people choose from. And there's, like, a lot of lot of use of, like, depressive drugs and stuff. Um, and, like, the character, like, has to break out of, you know, similar circumstances. But the one thing that I really took away from THX 1138 is my question of why Donald Pleasance is revered. Cause I feel like I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've just somehow g- incorrectly gleaned this over the years. It seems like he tends to be so revered in like certain circles. Oh, you mean the actor? Yeah, I thought you meant the character that he played in the film. Oh no, the character in the he played is just weird. I don't just, even remember him being in the film. So yeah, <laughs> but like I started to think like, okay, there's this. I don't think he's revered. I don't. I would argue that. Yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering about that. Like, I, I mean, guess I just the whole second half of his career is like cheap horror trash. Like starting with Halloween. Well, even before that, like you know, you have him. Like, yeah, he's the um, he's the first. The first time you actually see uh, Blofeld in the Bond movies, right? He's Blofeld. Yeah, he's the first Blofeld, but he's not remembered as Blofeld. It's Charles Gray who played him. Like seven other times so like he's the like real face of blofeld that's what i'm saying so how is how what gives you the impression that he's revered i don't maybe it's because he was in like so many like well the great escape yeah the well the great escape um the bond movie and then like later on his the john carpenter stuff like uh halloween and yeah but uh, even like that that's escape from new york those he's like so over the top and goofy in those movies like and yeah. he's in the Halloween sequel. And he's so you know? and he's so bland but, in like everything. Like I, would, just, I don't know if I'd call him bland. I mean, he gets pretty he gets pretty demonstrative in the Carpenter films, screaming yeah. and carrying on, and yeah. even even as the uh, psychiatrist guy, Doctor Loomis, he's screaming constantly. Yeah, he's pure yeah. evil. Shoot him! You know. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, I would I would guess that it's the Halloween stuff and working with Carpenter and mm. some other like cult directors. Like he's, he's in a Dario Argento movie. Mm. Um, right. Phenomena. I think he's just, I, I think he was in enough of these like cult beloved mm. things that he's just a cult thing. <laughs> yeah. That may, Even that, that I, makes revered by move by horror nerds for sure. But yeah, not, I wouldn't yeah, say yeah. like a, like, I don't think he's like a respected, like actor you know i mean right, I think he's right, just kind of right. like a genre guy you know yeah for sure speaking speaking of which i meant to say this uh last time but for some reason i forgot um i've never i've just never been crazy about alec guinness and his acting hmm. and like i know Hot there was take. yeah i mean there i know there was a big thing of like like he like you know kind of shit on star wars even though you know it 
padded his pockets pretty well. But, like, I don't know. Like, I, I can't even get too mad at him for that because, like, he's not what makes those movies. Like, he's not, you know, what makes Lawrence of Arabia great is not his performance as Prince Faisal. So I just keep thinking, like, why didn't Lucas offer it to, like, Lawrence Olivier? Like, there, maybe he, he would have been so. Maybe he did. Somebody, somebody, write in and I mean, tell there me how other, wrong I am. I mean, there are other you're films wrong. that I'll, he's. I'll uh, wait until you're wrong. Kind Hearts and Coronets, isn't he in that? There we go. Yeah. Yes, he is Kind Hearts and Coronets. Isn't he like that amazing in that? I haven't, I haven't is, seen it, but it's. it's <laughs> I, I don't it's, know. Like, it's like a he. He plays like seven characters, right. and uh, it's truly uh, incredible. Okay. I'm not here um, to defend it because I haven't seen that film, and I, but I, I do think that he's. I've actually, I mean, I think I've only seen him in Star Wars, but I, I, thought, mm-hmm. I think his performance, just I watched that scene, uh, the opening scene where he gives Luke the lightsaber. I watched that with my class last year because of uh, the hero's journey. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was struck just by watching that scene at like how much, like he's good in that scene. Like he's like just naturalistically delivering this. Re- ridiculous dialogue <laughs> and you know mark hamill's got very little he's just kind of waving the lightsaber around but i don't know i just i was i was impressed with that that part of it you know i don't know how okay. the rest of the film would hold up i don't have any interest in rewatching it but yeah i mean i would i would say that he's passable but he's definitely uh you know just doing doing the job mm. in in that but like he is even, old too in that. I mean, that's like a later role for him, sort of. True, right? so. true. But like, uh, like you take like you know, like they're they're not you know super similar. So I'm not you know trying to draw like super comparisons between him and Olivier. But like you take Olivier in like uh, Marathon Man, like like at the time, it's like he was great. Yeah, <laughs> he he was fucking amazing. But like you know, he was he was old. He could he was having trouble getting work because of his frail health. Like they wouldn't insure him. And so, like, Schlesinger takes a chance on him, and it, like, revives his career. Yes, and like, amazing. And his, and his health. He is Hamlet. Kevin, <laughs> Kevin you, just, you just said the, the big difference there. Schlesinger? Said, yeah. He had a real fucking director. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. George Lucas had no fucking idea how to direct actors. Uh, that's, that's, that's Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. all yeah. I can Still assume, doesn't. because yeah, you yeah. can't get a good performance to, like, save his life unless the actor just has... Natural despair, gift, exactly. Like right, right, right. Or so. I think Guinness is is good in the film. That's what I'm saying. I think, and it's it's well, weird. It's weird because, yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I like. I don't know if I lay. I don't lay it all. I mean, I don't want to get off on Star Wars here. I I don't yeah. lay it all on. I'll let George <laughs> Lucas. Not talk about this. I know. I don't lay it all at Lucas's feet. Is all I'll say. Like I don't. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, that yeah, the yeah. first. I think Mark Hamill is better in the first film than he is in the other two. So like I don't know that it's I feel like he blew his load kind of in his first in the first film, uh, script wise maybe, and uh, things the story wise things like that. I mean not that the story isn't engaging and interesting throughout, but I, I don't know. It just feels like it feels like there's a lot that there's a lot of there's a lot of. Uh, I know Empire is supposed to be amazing and everything. I mean I, I think I think it gets by a lot on the fact that it's better directed and it looks better cinematographically than the first or third film but i mean i don't mm. know I, again i don't want to <laughs> waste our fucking time talking about this bullshit franchise that's just <laughs> fucking die already uh, kevin have you seen uh, the lady killers the original one 
Well, yeah, that, that's what I was. That's, you, that's what I'm going off of. Like when I'm when I'm talking about. Um, but have you seen the Coens remake, which is a, a real treat? Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I really yeah, like, I did a, I like I did a, it. I did a, I did a Cohen list. <laughs> no, I know. But yeah, like I, did, uh, yeah, I definitely I'm, like Guinness and Lady Killers, though I don't love the Lady Killers. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because that's what that's what I was going off of. Like him and like Lady Kill, Lady Killers, Our Man in Havana, and like the three. I don't know how many David Lean movies he was in, but I know I've seen three of them. River and, Kwai? He, yeah, Bridge River, River Kwai, and uh, he's in like five minutes of Dr. Zhivago. Oh. Yeah, um, he's in, a, he's in like a, the smaller ones, Great Expectations, and Oliver okay. Twist also. Yeah, yeah. And A Passage to India. But hmm. all oh, isn't, isn't he like Fagin in um, Oliver Twist? Is he Fagin? He Never seen Fagin. it. Don't know. Yeah. He's definitely Fagin. Okay. I've been uh, yeah, interested like, to check out Polanski's Oliver Twist lately. I've been looking into it. Uh, I might get into that soon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah. To, to, to wrap all this up, I'm just not a fan of Alec Guinness's work. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> okay. Even even when even when he's you know working with much better directors. All right. Let me power through some stuff here. Okay. Um, I uh, I watched Skate Kitchen, but only because I really didn't have much interest in watching this, to be honest. And uh, I think uh, Jr. You watched this and you didn't love it, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, but I watched uh, the first episode of Betty on HBO, which is the series that's based on this film, and uh, directed by Crystal Mosel, who's the director of this film. And uh, I, you know, enjoyed the episode enough to say, well, I guess I should. If it's entirely based on the film, I should probably see the film first. So I went back and watched the film, and uh, you know, it's not great. It's it. Uh, my biggest problem with Skate Kitchen is that like. It's in contrast to the television show in that, which is, it's going to be so weird to hear this, okay? But get ready. <laughs> no, it's not that much of a blind. TV is, is so plot-based, you know what I mean? Mm. But it's like the opposite. The movie, this Skate Kitchen is such a plot-driven film compared to the television show. The television show literally is like a hangout show, especially for the first two or three episodes. Literally nothing happens. It's just these the girls skating and you see the guys, and they're all smoking weed constantly, just talking about bullshit that has nothing to do with anything. And there's really like nothing that happens. That's I love skateboarding. Conf- con- conflict. I mean, honestly, it's it really reminded me of like Slacker in a way because it was just so like meandering. And I really enjoyed that about the television show. And it gets it gets there's some things that happen. I mean, there's obviously there's like you know girl drama essentially that happens later on in the show. I mean, it's only six episodes long, mm. and the sixth episode actually hasn't. It comes out tonight, I think. But, um, you know, I, I I like the show Betty a lot more than I like this movie. And uh, so, yeah. And I guess I'll just go ahead and beast through Around the World When You Were My Age, which JR also watched but didn't like as much as I did. <laughs> this is uh, directed by uh, a young lady whose name is Aya Koretsky, who I guess is... Uh, at least half Japanese and moved her father moved to Portugal. And so she speaks Japanese, but like she says in the film that she doesn't know how to write it or read it, which is weird. I mean, she probably in Portugal was learning the, you know, Latin. No. Yeah. Totally. No, I get it. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like, it's just interesting how she, it's such a weird mix of, uh, nationalities and cultures. But, uh, so it's a film about her father's, trip or literally around the world when in the in 1970 1971 and uh it's told through photos mostly from his trip and a narration by an actor who is reading his diaries because he can't read anymore because he can't see 
And uh, I don't know. I really, I just thought it was like extremely like meditative and interesting. And I loved all the, like the photos are like, you know, like time capsule like a Frederick Wiseman film or something. You know, you're just like seeing back in time. It's really, really incredible stuff to see. And I found parts of it very emotional. And uh, I just, I really loved it. So, JR, what do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I enjoyed it. Um, and I thought it was the kind of documentary where, like, if you can hone in on its exact, very specific wavelength, you're going to love it. Hmm. And I just, I wasn't quite there. I hear you. That's, uh, that's fair. You know, but, and I did, you know, it, it was a, a good use of my time. I really liked it. It's just the, the, I could not quite get to love. It's also shot on 16 millimeter and it's like really, I find the cinematography like really pretty and vintage looking. And I like, I was telling JR through text the other day that I have a, I have a 16 millimeter camera and I've been, I'm about to start shooting some stuff (laughs) and uh, I just waiting for equipment to come in uh, extra like daylight reels. And I was uh, uh, researching who best to send it to, to get it developed and stuff like that. But I found them and it's all good. So I can't wait. I'm really excited. Nice. This sounds this sounds like an expensive fucking hobby. <laughs> I it, you know it's not it's not it's not as bad as you might think. I mean the the film itself is the most expensive thing. It costs fifty dollars yeah. a reel. Wow! So it's like that's pretty expensive. insane. But I mean, actually, I mean that's that's the black and white. The uh, color is cheaper. But um, hmm. getting it developed is really not that bad. It's like fourteen dollars a reel. So oh, the place I found yeah, that's so. much better than oh, I yeah. would have thought. I actually, I actually researched home developing. 16 uh-huh. millimeter because they have two different devices. One of them's a Russian device. One of them's an American device that Sears used to sell. And they're both, um, the Russian one's called a, a Lomo tank and it's like $150 or so on eBay. And then mm-hmm. the other one's like 80 bucks. It's called a Morse tank. And, uh, but, but I looked at the, like I, I watched people do it on, in those, on those tanks on YouTube and like the footage is so fucked up. Like it's all, it messes it up Aww. so bad. It scratches it and stuff. Ooh. So it's just like, I might as well just get it done professionally if I want it to look nice, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Plus they get up by chemicals and shit. I don't know. I'm just not yeah. ready for all that. I guess it's not, I'm not that serious about it yet. That I'm going to invest all that time yeah. and money. Anyway, Jared. <clears throat> all right. Uh, continuing my 2020 <clears throat> excursion. I, uh, Again, went to Amazon Prime and watched uh, Blow the Man Down, which is a kind of Coen Brothers-esque crime, super dark comedy um, set in a tiny coastal uh, Maine fishing village. And uh, it's about these two sisters who just uh, buried their mother, had the funeral. Um, They kind of find themselves covering up a new crime that one of the girls commits accidentally. And uh, that kind of gets them embroiled in what passes for the local kind of criminal element of the village, which is all run by women, um, namely the local brothel, which is run by Margot Martindale. And uh, and then there's this small group of old ladies that just kind of seem to run the town. And one of those ladies is uh, June Squibb, who was in, I think she was nominated for an Oscar for Nebraska. She, yeah, she was. Yeah. Um, Incorrectly. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it owes it owes so much to the Coen brothers in terms of uh, just visual and thematic material, but uh, it's attractively shot. And um, these these uh, co-directors, Danielle Crudy and Bridget Savage-Cole, have 
they just have like a, a real talent for small details in both world and character building. Uh, so much so that I think this would have been much better as a miniseries, which means that I would have never, ever watched it. <laughs> but uh, there's there are so many like great characters and there is so much going on that like cramming this into 87 minutes almost just doesn't make sense. This was, this was a great town where I would definitely spend six to eight episodes. Uh, the, everything that we get of Margaret Martindale and her little brothel is, is great. We could have had a whole season of Margaret Martindale and June Squibb going toe to toe, which is the kind of, of heavyweight, uh, duel that I want in a, in a TV show. Two senior actors, actresses, uh, just going at it. Uh, but I don't know. It's a three point two five. It's another one of those. This might be something like I feel like people who are not me would like this more than I do. Did you? Uh, did either of you get HBO Max? No. I. Oh no! You can't get HBO Max because you have a no, welfare I, I TV. Can't. I forgot. I'm, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm dumb. I'm dumb. I can't. <laughs> I do have it now. I have daddy's password. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> uh, and such I a was, bitch I was move. Like, when I was talking to you about that TV, I was totally just not thinking about how on my other TV that's brand new. I can totally get it. Oh yeah. Good uh, call. We just, we watch it. We watch that one a little bit less because um, I, don't, I don't know why we're watching the old shitty TV. Yeah. Right. So, I'm glad I you got know. it. I, there's like a, ton of uh really interesting i mean i watched the sh- that show yeah. betty on there obviously and mm-hmm. uh you know you've got sopranos and the wire and everything else and uh been watching last week tonight and bill maher and shit so it's and i also uh caught a couple of movies on there that i wouldn't otherwise have really probably ever gotten to mm-hmm. like dark phoenix for instance oh, you know, okay. which i'm not going to talk about but i mean right, it's right. kind of a Thank big God. disappointment right. but uh <laughs> i don't i don't think i hate it as much as you guys seem to but i I haven't seen oh, it. Oh well, as much, much as Jr. hates it, but <laughs> but I, I definitely, I definitely, I didn't hate it. I just didn't. I was very underwhelmed. Mm. I'd have to rewatch X Men Three, but it it might be worse than X Men Three. I don't know though. X Men Three. I, I, I remember I, hating Apocalypse. X-Men 3. Was pretty bad. I liked Apocalypse. So. Oh, I thought uh, I think Apocalypse was much better than Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Dude, wow. that scene when uh, when uh, what's this? Magneto kills the soldiers with a necklace. That shit rules. Yeah. <laughs> You're not, you're not going to get better than that. Anyways, oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead, uh, Kev. Okay. So uh, to, to round out the uh, George Lucas list, I rewatched American Graffiti, which, like, American Graffiti was actually a big part of my childhood because, like, my mom and dad grew up in the 50s and 60s, and so, like, the American Graffiti soundtrack is just all, you know, 50s, 60s stuff. So it was on heavy rotation a lot when we were driving around in the car and stuff. And my dad had a copy of the VHS, so we, my brother and I would just watch it a lot. And having not seen it in a long time, like, for one thing, I was really surprised at how bad it looked. Mm. Like, Damn. yeah, the it, I don't know if it was the, you know bad transfer to the dvd that i watched or what but it's just like there's everything's so dark and yes it takes place at night but come on like just because something takes place at night doesn't mean it has to be so dark and just you know 
lifeless. It's also it's also on like the main streets. Like these are these are lit streets. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not in a, an Iowan countryside. Right. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, this is the age. This is the age of neon. So, but yeah. Um. Yeah, and it was. What did I give it? It was enjo- it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable enough. Uh, I think uh, Richard Dreyfuss probably turns into the best performance. Ron Howard's kind of eh, not very not very interesting. <laughs> I like I like uh, Harrison Ford in it. He's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it just kind of goes you know follows a bunch of teenagers in the early sixties riding around town trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives. Um, so then that led me to rewatch Dazed and Confused, which is basically basically the same movie, only moved up about a decade. And I liked it a bit more. Um, yeah, like, just this, the stuff with, like, the uh, the hazing stuff, I just thought was kind of, like, Eh, this is kind of like just not interesting. Went from sad me. Affleck to mad Affleck. Yeah, very right? mad oh. Affleck. Yeah, uh, so hazing, and a, hazing is an important cultural ritual. It should be brought back. Apparently, it's back for everything. Okay, psycho. <laughs> no, actually, because uh, no, <laughs> no. A kid at L- a kid at LSU ended up dead from a hazing incident. So yeah, it's good. It weeds out the riffraff. Oh, yeah, the. Feels like there's one hazing death at a major college. You, once you a year. need to watch uh, Faulty Towers. Okay, because <laughs> uh, like this is what I mean. Just British comedy. This guy. <laughs> well, like, no. like you need to watch the IT crowd, man. It's so funny. <laughs> you wouldn't enjoy the IT crowd. I've seen it. Fal- John's oh, too okay. busy My watching every mediocre oh, okay. HBO show to watch. Hey, oh, Betty, oh, great, like, Betty is good. Okay, and honestly, <laughs> I watched next? Euphoria. Yeah, I watched Euphoria. Son of a bitch. Euphoria, I actually did. I binged the whole thing in two days. And I'll say this about Euphoria, because I was going to talk about it briefly. But what I'll say about it is that it is absolute, like, trashy TV. But it's elevated by its uh, the skill it took to make it. Like, it's really well made. Cool. It's cool. Part of it. Parts of it are shot on film, which is interesting. And um, the, I mean, like, the acting is fine. It's nothing that terribly interesting i think it thinks it's more like precious and woke and uh like it's changing the world or something because it's portraying what it's portraying but it's like it's not none of that's true it's literal just trashy soap opera-y kind of you know tantalizing lots of nudity lots of sex lots of drugs Mm. some violence in there a little gunplay which is fun but uh yeah there's actually a whole episode that's like literally I mean, I can't even explain it enough. Like, if you get a chance to see just this one episode, I think it's episode four. The whole thing is at a at a, at a like a state fair, like a carnival outside. It is l- like l- it's so exactly like the scene in Magnolia where they're following the kid. Your the camera's following the kid through the, the movie, the TV studio, and there's that music playing there. Even the music sounds exactly like that music, and it's like a single take, and the camera's like swooshing from person to person, and it's it's like. They obviously have a hard on for that specific scene or, or PTA style in that movie, right? Which I guess I mean, really, I've never seen Shortcuts, but as I understand it, it's very similar to things that Altman was doing in Shortcuts. So, ah. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's all I'll say about Euphoria. I don't want to go off on that. Funny thing. I just finished reading uh, Chuck Palahniuk's new book, mm. Consider This, and like like earlier when you said Precious, I thought it was like, I thought you were talking about the movie, and I was like, oh man, <laughs> oh man, Euphoria is that dark? Because uh, like he, he brings it up as like, like he's talking about like tried and true formulas, and one of the things he talks about is like seeing a character suffer, 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 and then never having redemption. So he talks, he talks about Precious, but then like, uh, but what's her superpower? She learns to read. And then he has a paragraph like, if you want to sell 100,000 extra books, write about a white person teaching a black person to read. Because white people who love to read think everyone should love to read. So cynical. I mean, it's... This guy wrote Fight Club. He also had dead... He also had dead mice launched at him at a book signing, so... That's weird. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, and, um, and he was talking about shortcuts, like having an argument with someone about the film. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been uh, actually tried to watch it recently, and I couldn't find it anywhere to to look at. Mm. It wasn't on Criterion Channel, and I had the DVD for a while, and I guess I got rid of it. I don't know where it is. Oh. But, uh, anyways, I watched. Um, they added the Scorsese short films to Criterion, so I watched some of those, all of them except for the two. Uh, hour long ones and uh the there's th- there's three of them that i watched the big shave what's a nice girl like you doing in a place like this and it's not just you murray and the second two that i just mentioned aren't worth talking about but the bi- i thought the big shave was actually really really good and the mm. shortest of the three and really easy to watch and uh like and very very uh it's just incredible it's like it's just from 1967 but you can like see things that he does like 20 years from then in films mm. like these these interesting shot compositions and editing techniques and stuff and I don't know I just really thought it was fun to watch and then I watched um a, two or three of the James Binning Betty Gordon or Bet Gordon I don't know how you say her name but mm. um films and uh the only one that I want to mention here is the United States of America which is awesome it's like a single it's not a single shot but it's like the same shot from the back seat of a car as a couple drives from new york to la and it's like the entire trip and it just like crossfades constantly it's like 25 minutes long it's really really interesting and cool and there's like interesting stuff on the radio and like news items and music and stuff and mm. i don't know it's just really i found it really interesting and engaging and again one of those kind of like time capsule kind of films where you see what life was like in 1975 from the backseat of a car. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you can see out the windshield, you know? Right, right, right. But, uh, yeah. So just, just trying to, I just have to make myself watch films on Criterion and on Mubi so that I can justify paying money for them every month, you know? Right. (laughs) Otherwise I feel bad about it. So. (laughs) Right, Jared? The way I do Criterion, I mean, I force my I don't I don't want to say force myself because I enjoy watching things I've never heard of on movie, um, like I never heard of around the world when I was your age. Right, me neither. Um, but Criterion Channel, I, I basically started just looking at their list of things that are like things that are leaving at the end of the month, and then I just choose a dozen or so that that I definitely want to see before they leave, and that's what I watch. Mm. That's fair. I should do that, but instead I 
I just look, <laughs> I literally just look at like everything that's been recently added and then I mm. add things from there and then never look at them again. Never watch them. Yeah. <laughs> Except for in the case of these short films, because they're short films, it's so easy to you yeah, can watch yeah, a three yeah. minute movie. Like it's nothing, you know I mean? I watch like six of these in one sitting. So, mm. but anyways, I only have like two things left to talk about. So. All right. Cheer. Um, I watched the night clerk which uh, was added to Netflix today, if anyone wants to see this. What is this? Sorry? What is it? The Night Clerk? No, what is that? Uh, is it, it a is, film? It is a movie starring Ty Sheridan and oh, Anna Day Armas. Oh, I do not want to watch that. No, not interested. About uh, this kid just on stop the talking. spectrum Kevin? who... <laughs> just kidding with you. Go ahead, bud. <laughs> you know, he, he has a job. He works nights at the mm. hotel. Hence the name of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to study the behavior of people so that he can better learn how to behave socially, uh, he installs cameras in the hotel rooms and he watches people. Oh. Uh, and I read a New normal. Yorker piece on this. I think really? I put the trailer on our website actually, not like a while ago. Oh, okay. Like a while ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the the first trailer came out for it when uh, Knives Out came out because yeah, yeah, that's okay. oh, okay. in this. Mm. Uh, Trying to capitalize, yeah. Uh, but anyway, he sees a woman get murdered through his uh, cameras. Mm. Uh, kind of freaks out. Uh, the cops find his cameras. Don't really, don't really pry too much into it. You know, that's probably Which fine. Uh, <laughs> and then. <laughs> Anna de Armas checks into the hotel, and uh, she happens to have the same boyfriend as the woman who was murdered just the other night. Um, the plot thins. Yeah. <laughs> John Leguizamo is a cop who's barely investigating the murder. Helen Hunt is uh, Ty's mom who just wants to protect her baby. And uh, Anna de Armas is kind of presented as like a femme fatale, which means uh, the viewer never has any doubt about... Uh, where the potential romance between her and Sheridan is going. Mm. And uh, this is kind of mixed with this sort of half-written thriller plot about, you know, who committed the murder, even though we know it was that fucking boyfriend. <laughs> we see that boyfriend then, like, beat the shit out of Anna de Armas uh, just a little while later. And, uh, yeah, and then, like, this guy's fucking cameras are just, we you know, we're just never going to really interrogate these. This is just a normal thing. Everyone with autism installs cameras in the rooms of, of people who they know so they can study them. Uh, it's that's just fair. Like, yeah, it's, it's just like a, a thing that's there. Yeah, um, and they're so high-functioning that they know that something's wrong and they need to make a change. Sure. It's, it's fucking insane. Um, and then Sheridan, Sheridan's, of course, going like full-on just like, you know, ticks and weird facial expressions to get, you Ooh. know, his disability across. It's absolutely atrocious. That's, uh, mm. I don't know what the fuck Helen Hunt and John Leguizamo are doing. And, uh, I know like this was filmed right before, uh, you know, and they kind of blew up and knives out and was supposed to have, you know, the bond movie come out in April. It didn't happen, but, uh, knives out know, is where she blew up. I thought it would have been I blade mean, runner. No, no, she was. She's a no. big part of Knives Out, which is why she's. Uh, oh, everybody's talking main, about her. Main character in Knives Out. Ah, 
protagonist. She's also, I, th- I mean, I think people, she's been on people's radar since before Blade Runner. Like she was in that terrible Eli Roth movie with uh, Keanu yeah. Reeves. And I mean, uh, I feel like she's been on people's radar because they know she's going to have a huge part in this Bond movie that's been in right, that too, yeah. forever. Um, but anyway, this is, uh, I don't, there are like three seconds of this that the Mr. Skin crowd will enjoy. Uh, I remember saying the Anne Hathaway awfulness, the last thing you wanted would be the worst movie of this nightmare 2020. And I am saddened and humbled <laughs> to report that I was deeply mistaken. This is, <laughs> this is just... a one and a half out of five. This is so fucking Ooh. shitty. Now, what now? Like Ty Sheridan. I mean, this guy, like, <laughs> I feel like he's like the it guy for a lot of these uh, indie directors, but I just don't get it. Like, he's just mm. not, I don't I've never been really impressed with him. And he's in uh, Schrader's new film that's coming out, The Card Counter. I'm worried. Mm. <laughs> Terribly worried. Yeah, uh, this was this was awful. He was awful in it. And, and I mean, it's the kind of thing where like every decision made in the making of this movie is bad. So do yeah. I know that like it is likely that a bad director was telling Sheridan to do bad things? But was he the kid in Killing of a Sacred Deer? No, that's uh, Barry Keegan. Barry, oh, yeah. they look that guy's pretty similar. that guy's a good actor. Right, that's right, the right. Difference. Yeah. Trying to think if I've seen Ty Sheridan. He's in, in all the X Men films, or the Dark Phoenix oh, and Apocalypse. That's anyway, right. he plays Scott Summers. That's right. He's not very good yeah, at those no either. Thanks. He's in Tree of Life. Also, he plays the kid in Tree of Life. Uh, I haven't seen that. Oh, well. Anyway, Kevin. <clears throat> okay, so my last one. I rewatched uh, Deadpool because, yeah, just figured I'd give it a shot. It's entertaining, fun. <laughs> What hell's going on over there? There's just this. She just wants attention. Shut up. Give her attention. She keeps meowing. Yeah, I know. Anyway, what did you think of Deadpool? The rewatch. I thought it was really funny. Marina Bakarin's still really hot. Is that his lady friend? Yes. Okay. I I don't remember what she looks like. I remember. uh, Yeah, I remember this being like one of the movies that I laughed the hardest at in the in the theater. Yeah. Yeah. But I uh, have not watched it since. But yeah. do own it. Yeah. <clears throat> like, my memory of it definitely would have been a five, but it was it was a four. So I, I feel like if I watch Deadpool 2, I'll probably... It might go down from the five that I rated it. But I just remember laughing my ass off in the theater when I saw it. So we'll see. All right. Well, I'm going to talk about my last two in conjunction because they're both bank robbery films, sort of. Um so after I watched Mad Dog and Glory or rewatched Mad Dog and Glory, I rewatched Normal Life, which is John McNaughton's film follow-up to uh, Mad Dog and Glory, which stars the late Luke Perry and Ashley Judd as a couple who are both damaged, but she's like way, way more damaged and like mentally ill uh, and uh, like suicidal and just, just crazy in general. And uh, they get together, of course, because, you know, Misery Loves Company, and they get married in a civil ceremony, and uh, he he loses his job as a police officer, so he decides, hey, I'll just start robbing banks, you know, because that's easy, and he owns a lot of guns and stuff, and uh, it's based on a true story, and actually, it follows the true story, like, really closely. I read, I read about the actual people on Wikipedia, and uh, essentially, they just kind of, like, spiral into uh, this... Uh, their own kind of personal hell, but then he starts robbing banks and he makes money and they're happy for like a split second. 
and then she finds out that he robs banks, so they start robbing him together, which is obviously like a terrible idea because she's insane. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it, do, it goes. It doesn't go anywhere good. Uh, uh, spoiler: They both end up dead. <laughs> but and it's pretty. It's pretty dark how both of them die. But uh, I, I wouldn't. I can't. Like it. It plays a lot like a TV movie, which is unfortunate. I don't know why exactly. Mm. As far as I know, it's not. But like it seems to have like a really tiny budget, which I guess I mean I, I assume Mad Dog and Glory failed at the box office, and so this is like his logical next step. Like he couldn't get funding for a real studio picture anymore. But I mean, it's unfortunate because like I feel like with a little bit more time and attention, it could have been like something interesting. And I mean, Ashley Judd tries really hard to be this crazy character, but she goes a little over the top in certain scenes, and mm. uh, like she shows up to his father's funeral in like rollerblades. <laughs> Like, just to show you that she's completely, you know, uh, uh, oblivious to what proper etiquette is in certain situations. Actually, you know who's really impressive is Luke Perry. And, I mean, he's mm. the best acting in the film. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's unfortunate that he couldn't have uh, gotten more roles like this or more things that maybe challenged him. Because wow. he's certainly fine in this. And I like and actually the movie that he followed, that followed this with, Fifth Element. And I love oh. him in that. He's in that for like four seconds, but he's great in that. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, um, yeah, so anyways, I only gave it a three, I actually gave it a three and a half, but then I thought about it and I lowered it to a three. Uh-huh. So I don't yeah. know if that's allowed or not. Anyways, then I was, uh, <laughs> hankering to watch set it off because the quote director's cut is on HBO max. So mm. never seen that. I've seen, I've seen set it off maybe a dozen times in my life, but never seen the director's cut. And so I watched that and, uh, you know, it's fine. It's an action movie, essentially. It's got some really goofy, dramatic performances. Like, Jada Pinkin has these ridiculous scenes where she's crying and screaming and stuff. And some of those work, but others are just embarrassing. Mm. And uh, when Kimberly Elise dies, I, I cried. I couldn't help it. It's just, like, really sad. Because mm. she's completely innocent. She didn't really do anything wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's just a bummer. But uh, John C. McGinley rules in this. He plays the uh, investigating police officer. I mean, just just a great, just a delightful, funny, alternating with like really, you know, passionate uh, police stuff. He's just good. He's just a good, yeah, good he guy. Is. He's awesome. Yeah, this is like prime time for him. You know, oh right, um, before Scrubs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, watch those two. They're fine. I don't necessarily recommend them. Although, I mean, Set It Off is, I will say it's probably F. Gary Gray's best directed film. Having seen a lot of his stuff, mm. he doesn't do much better than this. I guess I'll just mention really quickly, I watched White Mile also, uh-huh. which is an HBO movie, I guess, that came out on the channel back in 94. It stars Alan Alda, and it's like, a, and Peter Gallagher, and it's like a, Alan Alda and Peter Gallagher work at an ad, <laughs> a, they work at an ad agency, and, uh, Alan Alda is like their boss and he wants to take them all right whitewater rafting to like build, you know, uh, rapport among them and their clients. So he brings the clients to, and the, it ends, there ends up being this horrible incident where like half of them die mm. in the river. And then the, like the last 30 minutes, are like a courtroom drama. And it's just like a really boring slog of a movie. Oh. And it's unfortunate because it starts off really strong with like, all the ad guys talking about they're doing this Adidas ad and they're trying to figure out how best to do it. And they present it to Alda and he's got some really fun lines about, you know, what he likes about it, what he doesn't like. And 
it's it's just I was like I was like oh this it's almost like like a mammoth thing you know I was like this is really good like it feels like mammoth wrote this uh, you know uh. like like Glengarry Glen Ross or something but then yeah just kind of that that goes nowhere and then they go whitewater rafting it's the most boring thing you've ever seen mm. but they're all on the raft legitimately there's yeah. like tight close-ups of them on the raft so you can tell but yeah can't don't don't watch this <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's it for me all right uh my last one is uh serenity and i won't go through all serenity this is a uh, 2005 serenity not anne hathaway uh, matthew mcconaughey serenity oh oh um, so the bad serenity then Yes. <laughs> Not the good one with Matthew McConaughey. Have you guys seen All right. this, Serenity? Have you guys seen Good Serenity? Oh, Whedon Serenity? Yeah. No, I have not seen. It's been a while, but I've seen it. Okay. I haven't seen either one of them. Um, yeah, I, I was rewatching this for my, my 2005 thing uh, mm-hmm. just because I loved it when it came out in 2005. And that was – I had not seen the, the Firefly TV series at the time mm. that uh, this movie concludes – um, and I loved it even without seeing the show, having seen the show now it's, you know, it's more powerful, but you, you know, I also know that has to do with having seen a season of a TV show. Um, I'll just say this. I think, uh, like Chewittle, 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 Edgia four. Damn it. Should have learned how to say his name. Chewittle Edgia four. Thank you. Chewadel, as you before, is uh, he's very good as the as the villain that is introduced in this movie, mm. uh, just very commanding and frightening. Um, but the only thing I'll say about this is the uh, the writing. Like I think it does a brilliant job of reintroducing characters very quickly uh, and reintroducing them in a way that makes it feel like uh, the viewer is just kind of diving into a very lived in world, not, uh, you know, there's a way where this could be very confusing if you have not seen Firefly and it's not confusing at all. Um, and it's, it's just got this kind of economy and cleverness that, uh, Joss Whedon, Kevin's enemy does very well, (laughs) at least in, in this era. But yeah, it's, you know, this is not like, this is not a great movie by any means. Uh, it looks like a television movie as far as effects go. I'm not going to deny that. Right. But it uh, it hits me in the heartstrings. Four out of five. Mm. So what's the what's your favorite uh, 05 film then? Having rewatched a bunch of them. Uh, the New World. New World. Okay. Still, oh, the easy. New World. That's easy. Cliche. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> five is a rough year, man. I was looking at it like on my thing. And I was just like, this is, it's a rough time. Mm. <laughs> it's not a lot yeah. of good stuff. Oh, I've got, yeah. I've got a few movies that the first time I ever guested on the previous podcast. Yeah. Uh, I talked about my second favorite 2005 movie. Who's Camus anyway, which, oh. uh, rewatched that on prime and that's still fucking amazing. Mm. So, Maybe I'll maybe I'll look at that. There's a few good ones. Maybe it's about it's about a Japanese uh, film school students making a movie. It's great. Cool. I love movies about making movies, so that's a, that's a sell. Do it, Kevin. Oh, I'm done. Oh, okay, then let's uh, jump right into my Mad pick, Dog. Mad Dog and Glory, directed by John McNaughton from 1993, and starring 
in alphabetical order. No, I'm just kidding. Bill Murray, <laughs> uh, Robert De Niro, and Uma Thurman, and uh, David Crusoe. Mm-hmm. And Mike Tolles, Starr. Mike Starr. A lot of uh, some couple of character actors in there that you might recognize. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, this was a, a this was a kind of a I don't know. I, I honestly don't even remember like how I got introduced to this or saw it. I mean, I, I think I saw it the first time when I was 15 or 16, and have watched it a handful of times since then. It's been maybe 10 years since I've seen it until this lot most recent one and uh i remember always liking it when i was younger so that was uh that's the reason i picked it and that you guys hadn't seen it which is always a factor of course i've never heard of this yeah and you'd never heard of it which is kind of <laughs> it, insane really right i mean do you, you don't think about that like that's a de niro film with bill murray you've never heard of it you know what i mean yeah. that's like yeah, this this, is, this was a rewatch for me. Oh, you've seen it. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. But it, it had been like years. Yeah, so. yeah, sure. Guys, if all you know going into this <laughs> is like the name of the movie and what the poster looks like, it's just three <laughs> people in, in like nice clothes. In a haze. The opening scene, the opening scene of this movie is a true what the fuck moment. I yeah. thought I had downloaded the wrong thing. I was like, what the fuck? hell is this it's so it's so serious <laughs> yeah like the guy just gets in a car to sell drugs and is just fucking blown to bits yeah and then that guy lights up his own his friend for no reason yeah anyway hey it was uh goodness, it was, man it was well. yeah and like the first names that you see on the movie are martin scorsese and barbara defina it's like what yeah oh oh and then and then when that murder gets called into the cops we see Robert De Niro in like the dingiest fucking yeah. uh, like <laughs> cop cop station police station ever, and uh, sleeping the guy on taking a cot. The details of the like this guy's just repeating the details of the murders. Like, yep, yeah, bullets uh, in the head, okay, and chest, okay, yeah. It's just it was like the bleakest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, the rest of the movie is not like that. What was it that guy like? Big fucking holes, or something, <laughs> something like that. He says something like that. Yeah, yeah. Are, no, I, are these, he says he says something like, "Do you? How do you know it was a gunshot wound or something?" Oh He's right, like, right, right. Fucking bullet holes all in the. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I guess hey, I. Well, I guess I'll just say it's what it's about. I guess I forgot to mention oh, yeah, the, yeah. the synopsis of the film, which is uh, uh, De Niro is a police photographer, and uh, he is investigating well, like he's taking pictures of a murder scene. He stumbles upon the killer who is robbing a convenience store and holding Bill Murray hostage. And, uh, he essentially rescues Bill Murray and Bill Murray is, turns out to be a local gangster. And, uh, in, in return for his, uh, having saved his life, he invites him to a comedy club where he's doing stand up comedy. <laughs> it's yeah. such a bizarre movie. <laughs> yeah. He's doing stand up comedy. And, uh, and then that's where he meets Uma Thurman, the young and the beautiful Uma Thurman. And, uh, he, Bill Murray essentially offers him a flesh trade, you know, and says, Hey, you know what? I'll send this lady over to your apartment to live and take care of under the pretense that he's going to take care. She's going to take care of some mm. injury that she caused him by spilling coffee on him. And, uh, they, end up uh, falling in love and he has to uh, essentially essentially and literally fight Bill Murray for her so yes uh, yeah so I mean outside of the fact that the yeah the the intro is shocking I guess obviously yeah the poster tells you nothing about the film I mean yeah, the poster yeah. makes it look like it's a rom-com or something but um, yeah. outside of the fact that 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 opening scene is so uh, strange compared to the aesthetic of the poster I mean what did you guys think of the film it's also strange compared to the aesthetic of the rest of the movie. Yes. Right, right. 
Like oh, once Uma oh. Thurman is introduced, it's a much cleaner Chicago that we see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she represents that clean, that cleanliness, that beauty, that youth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> the whole movie is really strange. <laughs> like, uh, the, you know, this is this is probably you know probably the biggest the biggest thing that people think about when they watch the movie. So like, Bill Murray plays the gangster. And Robert De Niro's character is supposed to be this, you know, like, meek, mild-mannered... Is he just a photographer, or is he a detective? Uh, he, he's... I mean, he has a gun. He's a... Yeah. He's a real I mean, cop. he's a police officer, yeah, but his yeah, job yeah. is to take pictures of okay. the body. But when he, when he takes the pictures, he's also, like... Yeah, he's investigating. Basically like, doing the quick forensics as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it actually works. I mean... Yeah, that would seem strange compared to the, how it's portrayed in other films, but like I don't know how it actually yeah. is, so who knows? You know? Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think I, I don't know. I think Richard Price wanted to make him a photographer. Uh, yeah, and otherwise didn't care. Right, and I, I guess it was like it was also something because like later on in the story, photography become you know we learned that it's like his hobby, what he was really passionate about, but um, he ended up becoming a cop because he thought there was no money in it. But um, for me, watching this was like why is it was like what I felt like when I was watching the conversation. It's like it's like I see De Niro playing this role, and it's like I just can't buy that he's that he's this character, and like the way he plays like meekness is just to like give these like short little answers and then look away and focus on something else. And it's like it's so weird to see De Niro doing so little. Kevin. Yes. Do you know why you really can't handle De Niro in this role? Enlighten. Why me. it doesn't make sense? <laughs> the real reason for all of us is because Bobby De Niro does not fuck. Okay? <laughs> but Bobby De Niro does fuck in this movie, and that's not right. Okay, well wow. I should say before you say for all of us, I don't feel that way about De Niro okay. in this film. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I, I think his performance is, is really good. Actually, I, I felt like he played mild mannered really well, and I, I mean, that's the, that's the essence of the film. I mean, that's the theme of the film is like uh, the fragility of the male ego, and mm. you know, like how he's. I mean, he, 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 and and um, Bill Murray and David Caruso are the three kind of archetypal egos in the film, right? I mean, like yeah, you yeah. got, you've got. Essentially, De Niro's on the low side. He's on the meek side, right? Like he's, oh, I, I can't do anything. I'm afraid of everything. I, you know, I, I want to be tough, but I can't be. Uh, you know, I want to be everything that David Crusoe is, and I can't be. David Crusoe's on the opposite end of the spectrum. He's just like a total badass who yeah, nobody fucks yeah, with, yeah. and he's able to talk down people without even fighting them. You know, like when he tells uh, Tom Tolles the abusive boyfriend in the bar, he just yeah. tells him, "Don't even fucking look at it." <laughs> you yeah. know, like don't even, yeah, don't even turn around to say he, goodbye. He's just such a he's uh, that was a pretty good Crusoe voice, by the way. Yeah, thank you. I I don't I was I was watching. I was like, I don't know if this guy is a good actor or not because like every time I see him, I'm like. He just plays that same like asshole yeah, character yeah. in everything I see him in, and I'm just like, is this this must just be who he is as a human, right, right? Or like, I, I don't I don't buy him as like a, I mean, it's just so strange too because he's like such a tiny guy, but he's got this huge attitude. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But anyways, um, he looks he's he looked a fair bit taller than Robert De Niro. Did he? Yeah, he. 
But De Niro's yeah. like so. I don't know. Even even in this film where he's you know when they're fucking and he says I need, I should do some sit ups or whatever. Oh yeah. And it's like I, I was I, the first thing I thought about when he said that I was like yeah like you just did Cape Fear bud you're in shape and like like you know yeah. I mean? like, give me a fucking break but yeah. uh but I mean anyways I was saying like they're on the opposite ends of the spectrum and then, like Bill Murray's like in the middle right Bill Murray is like sort of like pretending mm. to be tough but not really like he's going to a therapist and he's trying to get in touch with his feelings and he's like trying yeah. to understand himself better and like but he's also a mob boss but he's also and... yeah he's also a, a cold-blooded killer and you know yeah, he's got yeah. he's got business to, to accomplish and stuff like that and he's essentially selling uma thurman to to friends of his so it's like he's a bad guy but he's also not maybe as uh comfortable with his with his his uh the person that he has to be as Caruso is. Mm. So anyway, that's, that's, that's what I, the watching at this time is what I took away from it. It's like the, just that whole, that triptych of egos and how interesting that was to me and mm. how I thought personally, I think, uh, especially the, the two center performances, the, Bill Murray, I thought Bill Murray was actually really good in it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think it's easy to write it off and say, well, this is just like a goofy, you know, obviously, you read the trivia and they offered the part to De Niro and mm. De Niro's played that part, you know? So he's like, I don't want to do that. I want to be the mild mannered guy. Yeah. And then Bill Murray's obviously like he's enjoys taking chances. So maybe he wants to, you know, try something he's never done. So he's, I'll be the comedian mobster guy. You know, that's good. And I think they both kind of, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to say now cause Kevin's shit all over De Niro, man. but I think they both crank it out of the park personally. I thought, I think if anybody's weak, it's Thurman and I don't think she's weak. I just think she's not as good as them. Well, she's green. Yeah, that's true. She's yeah. so, she's so green in this. It's fair. There's also, I don't know. It's, it's not a part with like a, a ton to show. Right. She doesn't have a lot to do. Yeah. Like it, part of the point is that she is beautiful but otherwise just kind of there. Yeah. Which is why the movie ends with like De Niro literally about to buy her from Bill Murray, even mm. though she's like, don't, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. So I don't know. that was weird, but I, I didn't think she was bad. And, uh, I also, like, I can't remember ever seeing her this young, even though Pulp Fiction mm. was the next year. I still right. have yeah, never. Right. Yeah, it's it's like night of her and day. That that young. She looks she looks older in Pulp Fiction though. Just yeah, her yeah. hair and everything. I feel like in her in her clothing. I didn't know if maybe that was just like I you know I've seen Pulp Fiction a hundred times starting from when I was so young that yeah like she was old to me when she right, was right she was oh, fucking right, like twenty four yeah. in Pulp Fiction <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know to a, a nine year old I guess it's pretty old yeah 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 that's fair I mean. Uh, I like I yeah I, I don't think she was bad at all. I just I think if there if there is a weak performance, it's not a weak performance, but a weaker performance. I love. Uh, I just had a line written down. Where, <laughs> and then speaking of that opening scene when he shoots that guy and the, oh, the yeah. passenger, the driver says, "Motherfucker's so dead, dead all over." <laughs> <laughs> like that's just good. I don't know. That's such a uh, weird way to put it. And I like the. Um, I don't know that it means anything or has or is necessary at all, but. The fact that it opens in black and white, and then when he lights up the cl- crack rock, it becomes color. It's oh yeah, super yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of kind of the like thinking about it now is kind of the funny thing about this movie. It's like, you know, like lights up, and then it becomes, and then it goes in color. And like Jr. was saying earlier, like when he meets Uma Thurman, like you know, it's you know, there's sunshine and the you know Chicago doesn't look as dingy. It's like these little things here and there, but it's like. 
Like all, all these things are going into like I don't like I don't know. It feels like they should be in like another movie that's made by like I don't know a better director. But like, well, I mean, that's interesting you say that because I, I was thinking. I, okay, well, I, I'll say that I, I I didn't notice necessarily that that uh, things changed aesthetically when she showed up. But I mean, thinking about it now, it makes sense that it, yeah. Like I I agree with you guys that it does. But I, I also say that that has largely has to do with the fact that everything that happens before you meet her is night scenes, and true, then like true. everything after that is day scenes. You know. Yeah. But I agree. It's like it's like I'm definitely like a more like sunny, uh, happy, you know. But I mean, again, that's just. I mean, that seems like pretty common. Like you'd be portraying the central characters change in mood. Like he's getting happier and happier as he gets to know her and falls in love with her. Mm. And I mean, it culminates with my favorite scene in the whole film, which is uh, sexed up Wayne just going to uh, <laughs> dancing to Louis Prima at the crime oh, scene. Yeah. I mean, just amazing, <laughs> just amazing. Just, and that's uh, I mean, that's Richard Price. Just the jukebox at a uh, at a crime scene. You yeah, know? yeah, that's normal. That's uh, Richard Price, the the writer, as one of the detectives there in that scene. So, oh. but um, yeah, I th- I just I really love that scene. It's just incredible to me, and I love that song by Louis Prima. But um, yeah, I was gonna say uh, I enjoy uh, the score, Elmer Bernstein's score. Didn't realize he did the score, but it's super good, and I think, and I mean. I don't know. Just really, 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 really enjoyed it. I'm trying to look at other things. All my other notes. Uh, what'd you think about the uh, the playground fight at the end? I like the with, playground with, fight with both gangs, like <laughs> egging it on. Yeah, yeah, I have I have issues with the uh, result of it. My only I issue, mean, actually, I mean, I'll, I mean, spoiler, like, I love this fucking movie. My my only issue with the film really is the the way it ends. Uh, I wash my hands of both of you. No, not that. I, all I, of a sudden, I actually, I, I mean, I don't, I don't mind that. I, I like the way he delivers that line. I really love that the guy, his mobster guy, goes, "Kill him, Frank," and he starts beating the shit out of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing to me. <clears throat> but um, no, I have an issue with the fact that she stays with him. I, I feel like she shouldn't have stayed with him. I feel like she mm-hmm. should have left, mainly because she talks about leaving so much. Like she talks about being free and wanting to get away. And it also feels wrong that his life should suddenly, it feels like a really weird, like kind of cheesy, happy ending that he gets just, everything works out for Wayne at the end, you know? Yeah. Like he wins the fight, he wins the girl. And even the way that fight, the fight, the choreography works out where he's getting his ass hit. And then when he throws that first punch that connects, that music kicks in that like Rocky score, you know, like suddenly he's coming back, you know, he's going to, he's going to beat him now, you know, uh, it's just, and I, and I read that they, they reshot all that. They rewrote all that. And that wasn't the original ending and that, uh, yeah, they, that originally he was going to just lose the fight and Mm. lose the girl. And uh, maybe there was been a, there was going to be a coda or something like that, but well, I thought it was like he was going to lose. He was still going to lose, but Bill Murray's character was still going to be like, you know what? It's not worth it. Maybe because I, I think he gets in like I think they, they said they he said, got in like one good shot, and that was like the turning point. It's like Whoa. they said that the uh, the audience couldn't handle Bill Murray beating him in a fight, ah. which is like what you're saying that you yeah, can't yeah, yeah. you can't see De Niro, and that's the same thing. I've heard that before. Like my dad, I showed this movie to my dad when I was younger. And he said the same thing. Like he didn't like seeing De Niro as a timid person. Like he was like, I don't well, like, I don't like it. Like, I, like he just wants to see De Niro as De Niro is in like every Scorsese film, you know, or like every mobster character he's ever played. Just like, which is weird, also because 
he's really not like that in a lot of those. Like you're really thinking of like three or four movies there. Like he's not yeah, like yeah. that at all. Yeah. Like King of Comedy, he's essentially like a meek, you know, nothing of a person. Yeah. Uh, in uh, uh, Casino, he's getting shit on and like and like bulldozed constantly by Joe Pesci. I mean, like he's not. He's not the man in most in, in a lot of his films. Yeah. Well, I was thinking thinking too of him in uh, Awakenings. Oh yeah. Yeah, which you know I liked him a lot in that. I think like my big problem with his portrayal of it was like a lot of times it seemed to like go like he'd start out like kind of meek, but then he'd get like very you know quote unquote stereotypical De Niro, where he would like be very forceful and like there's that there's like that when? scene. Well, there's that scene where he, like, you know, like, he hears uh, the guy wailing on his neighbor, and then he, like, bangs on the door, like, you know, are you okay? And then, like, you know, like, he, he actually does something, like, right then and there. Like, any, yeah, like but that's, any like other, the, that's well, the whole scene, is that he's not, he's a pussy. Like, the guy fights back a little bit, and he's, oh, I'm on to you, you know, he can't do anything, what are you gonna do, you know? Right. <laughs> like... Well, like any like any other movie, like he would have been shoved aside like immediately. But then, like later on in the movie, he would have gotten you know some cojones and then like actually done something more serious. That's what I love about it, though, is the fact that I mean, it's a character building moment. It's mm. two character building moments with Tom Tolles, the, the abusive boyfriend, because yeah, not only does he get you know uh, rebuffed by Tom Tolles in that scene, but then later on, who has to take care of it for him? His diminutive partner Caruso, you know, who, <laughs> yeah. who literally does nothing, just talks to him, yeah, and yeah. gets him to leave. So it's like talk about emasculating, you know what I mean? Like, and that, I feel like that's right. what that's what his character is. He's just like a guy who can't be tough, even though he really, really wants to be tough. Yeah, I don't know. I think it, for me, it probably comes down more to the writing of the of the movie itself. Like Jr. is shaking a finger like he oh, loves. He's agreeing with you because I agree with Kevin. Yeah, yeah, he loves that. Yeah, like I, I don't know, like you know, he really doesn't, you know, get a whole lot of redemption, even in the end when you know he fights back. I mean, I think that's what that's that's know, what like, they're hanging it on is that this is his redemptive moment that he's, yeah, he's yeah, suddenly yeah. getting tough because he's willing to fight. And I, I, I like that. Like my, like I like for me, his redemptive moment isn't the fight. His redemptive moment is challenging him to the fight and pulling the gun on him and saying, let's fight right mm. now. I'll fight you for, it. and I, I think part of him is thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if this were enough? I could just threaten him. And then he'd be like, Oh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not fighting you. Yeah, you can have yeah. her, you know? And when he actually fights him, it's uh, well, when, like he like goes like he goes like full on you know full on De Niro when he pulls out the gun and he's like waving well, he's it at everybody. Enough. Yeah, he's had um, I mean, look what he went through. I mean, that whole montage of him having to borrow money from people like he's yeah trying yeah. to get together the money to. Uh, I love that shit too, where he's lying to everybody about buying a house or something and flipping it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that shit is great. Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's. It seem it seems like there are a lot of like good elements that I don't know maybe in the hands of like I don't know a different writer, different director, different actor, maybe things would have come together better for me. But I mean, yeah, I didn't hate it. It was sure. just I understand. Yeah, Richard Price is a um, he's like the yeah, real I deal. Saw, I saw he wrote <laughs> a Color of Money. Yeah, I mean he wrote. I remember liking a couple of really good films. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't, yeah, I mean, McNaughton, I was thinking I'd rewatch Normal Life and think, wow, because I, I watched this and I thought McNaughton did a really good job with it. And I was like, mm. and then I rewatched Normal Life and I'm like, well, 
maybe he didn't have that much, uh, you know, maybe that he didn't have that much in the in the canister. Oh, he also wrote Ransom, which is a cl- just an absolute classic. Oh, JR. Yeah, you yeah, love Ransom, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, so the, like, I guess my my last thing will mostly be in agreement with Kevin. I, I think uh, I, I have fewer issues with the performances than you, Kevin, but I do think that a lot of the story elements of this feel just kind of haphazardly thrown together. Uh, and it makes sense that the ending was rewritten because, you know, it, it, the ending, like where Bill Murray, like I don't have a problem with Bill Murray saying, I wash my hands at both of you. I have a problem with all of a sudden him just saying like, no, we're done with the fight. Like they just kind of ran out of things to do. So we had to just end it. Um, so I, I like and everything John said like intellectually made sense to me like I understood all the ego things I just it, it just like the story around it didn't work for me and uh and I really also think that that McNaughton just like, I don't know like he couldn't like manage kind of what he was doing with tone and genre because it mm. does feel like it, it can be all over the place with the way it looks like I you know, I, I said the look changes for the daytime, or, or you said for the daytime, but with Uma Thurman, and it just, it never felt like as intentional as it should have because they didn't return to other elements. Like, like when we went back to the police station at night, it was no longer that awful, dingy look. It was just a normal building. He also so, never uh, sleeps at the station again after that. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I love the oh. idea of them sleeping at the station. Yeah. So I guess there's just, there was a lot of setup, a lot of setup and, and disappointment all, all over this movie for me. Ouch. Like set up, <laughs> set up to be good and ended up being disappointing. Yeah. I think I was probably, I was probably expecting it more to be like, uh, so I married an ax murder where it's like this, you know, romantic comedy that has like a lot of darker elements to it, but there's a lot of like, you know, more genuinely funny, funny moments. How about, uh, and more like, you know, like, I don't know, just a better, a better played romance. what do you guys think of Murray's stand up though? <laughs> I film? thought it was actually pretty funny. And then when he rips off, uh, he just <laughs> uses De Niro's jokes to the, to the rest of in the private officers. to like, he's not even using yeah. it on the stage. He's just telling it to other people. Like it's his joke. Yeah. I thought his jokes were absolutely terrible, but like the yeah. way he delivers them is so ridiculous. Like <laughs> yes. he's just such like a he's such a mobster caricature I in that know. in the scene. Like he's more of a caricature of mafia guys in the scene when he's mm. doing his stand up than ever in the whole film. Yeah. yeah. I really I loved Bill Murray in this. I thought great. he was fantastic. I couldn't decide if the mob buddies were supposed to be real laughing or fake laughing. I think a little bit it of it seemed both. like they should be real laughing because the jokes were pitched you know, right to them and only to well, them. Well, they have to <laughs> yeah. laugh, right? I mean, they have yeah. to laugh or he'll yeah. put yeah. them in a dumpster so or whatever. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, ratings. Uh, I'll, three. I'll, I'll, okay. Go ahead. Three. Four and a half. Two. 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 Oh. Two. Wow. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Four and a half, man. This thing rules. <laughs> I literally, I debated the five, but that ending just uh, uh, threw me, uh. threw me a little bit. Uh, I will give, I will give a scene and its callback a five, which is uh, the mini soliloquy that included the expediter of your dreams. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That that was great shit. 
Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Just a, just a fantastic film. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so next week is going to be uh, JR's pick. JR, we're waiting with bated breath. Yeah. You know, it's just like looking through all of our past picks, maybe with the exception of um, Butch Cassie and the Sundance Kid, we have been choosing such weird, like, personal personal favorite stuff sure uh and we've been torturing each other with it uh I'm sorry you know, unintentionally sorry you hated other. this fucking movie no 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 <laughs> i i'm actually mostly thinking of coherence oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that was brutal you guys absolutely hated more than anything <laughs> i've ever seen you hate it's garbage. Uh, so i decided that this week you know if if two of the three of us are going to be tortured you're going to get at least get tortured with an all-out fucking classic and get some fucking culture, you know? Uh, so we're watching a, a Hitchcock movie. We're watching Notorious. Uh-oh. Oh, yes. Okay, so Notorious, right. Hitchcock. I, I don't know where it's available. That's okay. Uh, it's, Isn't it on Criterion? It should be. They just released the Blu-ray of it yeah. not too long it, ago, it, so it, it might it, be on the channel. On. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure. I'm saying it's. I'm sure it's available to rent even somewhere uh, if yeah, it's not. Yeah, you yeah. know, if it's not on Hopefully, the channel and, itself. You know, it could be on HBO Max. They have a bunch of the Criterion stuff. That's true. On I actually oh, don't cool. recall if it is or not. Um, right, but that's yeah. That's what we're doing. Terrific. Nice. Uh, that'll be my second Hitchcock film. <laughs> yeah. After Vertigo. Oh, okay. I watched right, Vertigo for my next twenty picks. We're only doing Hitchcock. <laughs> That'd be fine. It forced me to watch. Has them. he done twenty movies? Sure. Did he do yeah, 20 yeah. You gotta watch Family Plot and More stuff, like, though. Uh, you know. 50 something, I think. Oh, okay. Including short films, but uh, right. no, 60 including short films, but he's got probably, you know, 40 ish real features. Right, right. Okay, well, uh, so until next time, visit our uh, website, filmyak.podient.co. Email us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time for our discussion of Notorious. Just a stone classic from the master of suspense. Y- yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. I'm not being sarcastic. I've never seen it. I don't have any idea. <laughs> Going off what people say. Uh, for me, De Palma is the master of suspense. So, no, I'm just um, kidding. Now you're being No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, so yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, and until next time, uh, bye bye.